All right. Well, I honestly don't remember uh, exactly where we left off. I know we talked. I think we talked mostly about um, the, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the and the whole aspect of don't look back. Well, the, the the pictures of judgment in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the fact that God wasn't trying to save Sodom and Gomorrah, he was trying to uh, bring a people out of it and and bring them to the mountain of God. That's really the picture there. And and the 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 warning and well, both the warning and the admonition for them was to not look back to uh, a, a land, uh, a city under condemnation and how and we talked about how that um parallels exactly of course our experience of salvation we are god is not trying to save the the natural or the first creation although uh, that doesn't mean that we should pollute our rivers or whatever but he's not his purpose isn't to save the earth it's actually to bring you out of the first and into the second and to teach your heart how to not look back and to to go with him to the mountain of God and to live in an entirely new place, a higher place, uh, to live in the heavens, to live in Christ, to live in the in the new. And that's um, that's a story that repeats over and over again throughout a bunch of types and shadows in the Old Testament. And I think we spent a good amount of time talking about that last time. That kind of leaves us. Um, I think that was, let me, let me check here. I think that was, uh, chapter 19. Yeah. And then, and then chapter 20 is another one of the, um, the Abraham goes south and says that his wife is his sister. And that story kind of repeats again. And I don't really have anything else to say about that that I haven't said already. And so, we're going to skip ahead this uh, this time to Genesis chapter 21. And I want to say some things about Genesis 21 and 22 tonight, which basically is going to be talking about the, um, the birth of Isaac and the sacrifice of, or the near sacrifice of Isaac, which are both really important things. And, and some of it, you know, there's going to be things that, I, I repeat just because the stories themselves some some of the things I'll repeat because I don't remember that I said them or where I said them or if I said them some of the things that I repeat it's just uh it's just because the bible is incredibly the the patterns repeat and but they they're never exactly I mean it's it's exactly the same eternal purpose there's there's one single eternal purpose and God is it's like he's taking aim at that uh at that eternal purpose from one type in shadow and then another type in shadow and then another type in shadow and there's always overlapping aspects there's always pieces that uh you're going to see again and again and again and then there's and then every single we'll see it here tonight with the first and the second with Isaac and Ishmael there's always uh, an element or an aspect of the of the picture of God's eternal purpose that is different in this picture. He's showing you a greater detail about one aspect or showing you a, an enlarged view of, of one aspect of, of Christ. And, and, and of course, you know, as I say, like a broken record, but I can't, I never get tired of saying it, uh, because it's so key. The purpose isn't 
to have a uh, a whole bunch of scriptures memorized or understood that testify of Christ. The picture is to know and experience Christ in the ways he's being testified of. Do you understand the difference between those two things? It's a huge difference and it's an important difference. We're not gathering together information about the Old Testament and understanding that, oh, look at that, that that points to Christ. We are trying to experience the fulfillment, which is Christ, in the way he's being testified of in the types and shadows. And that's really when you know it. I mean, you can you can recognize certain things. You know, you can say, "Look, the 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 staff is always used as a picture of the cross." Well, that's true. You know, the dove plays this role. You know, or or, or whatever. You can recognize those things, but you're not any better for knowing that until Christ Himself becomes an experiential reality in your heart in that particular way. And that's that's what we're doing. And, and and if we're doing anything other than that, then we need to stop doing whatever that is and start doing, uh, start turning our heart to know Christ, to to ask the Father to reveal Christ, to make Christ known in us as the living fulfillment of all these things. Otherwise, we're wasting our time. There's no point in studying the Bible as a book, okay? No more point in studying the Bible than there is studying Shakespeare if we're just studying a book. I, you know, I was a religion major in college, and there was a, which was a dumb thing to do, by the way. But, but I remember, um, uh, I remember there were a whole bunch of people in all of my classes studying Christian religion that had no belief in God. You know, they were, and in fact, most of my professors were like that. I remember just thinking to myself, "What are these people doing?" You know, like, I mean, I didn't understand much about the truth, but, but I knew it was weird to be studying the Bible to become scholars about the Bible when you didn't even believe the Bible. You know, that just seemed really stupid to me. And uh, and it still does, actually, but even probably more dumb than before. But, you know, and to, to various degrees, we can still be doing that now. And I don't want anyone, if, if you don't hear anything else, you know, I, that's that's meaningless. It's exactly the situation that Jesus spoke to in John chapter 5 where he said, you are those who search the scripture diligently, you know, and yet you're missing the entire point for which it was written. You're missing the the reality behind every word because I am that reality and you will not come to me. So, okay, putting that aside, the the, the birth of Isaac. So so here comes this. We, we've spent some time talking about the first and the second, and, and the first is always the picture, the pattern, or the natural shadow, the prophecy, the promise. Those are some words that you should... Uh, when you think of the word first, you should think of natural. You should think of um, uh, picture or type. Uh, you should think of external that's those are or promise you know those are words that have to do with the first god has ordained all things that we experience of salvation to first be presented to us in history and in the bible as external representations of internal spiritual and eternal things the first is everything that pointed to Christ or bore an image of Christ that but yet fell short of Christ 
the the fleshly copy, the natural picture, and then there's of course sin and death and all the things that became part of the first because of what man introduced in it. But the first in itself is not sinful; it's just not Christ. And and the second, and I know I'm, I'm repeating myself, but this is just fundamental, and I never know where people are in their hearts with these things. The second is the fulfillment, the substance, the reality, the actual essence of the thing pointed to, promised, or prophesied by the first. The second is Christ himself living in you and all that he is. And there is no third. The, the, the Bible is the story of the first and the second. Your salvation is the experience of the journey from the first to the second. Now you're immediately brought out of the one and into the other, but the experience of salvation is your journey of faith that you experience coming from the one, which is the, you're born in the first, everyone is. The first didn't end, see that's why I always say the, don't think of the first and the second like two dispensations, like one went up into the cross and the other it started at the cross, and now you're born in the second. No, you're not. You're born in the first still. We're in the new. I mean, we're we're in the time of the new covenant. That's true. But you still have to be born of the second to enter in. You're still born of a natural man and a natural creation, needing spiritual life, needing spiritual birth, and then your journey, Christ, the the journey of of what of what Christianity is all about is the soul's progression. Out of the one, well, let me say it another way. The soul is actually translated immediately out of the one into the other. Let me say it this way. The soul's understanding or the soul's revelation or the experience of, of leaving behind what the cross left behind and finding yourself living in, abiding in, seeing where the cross has brought you. So the first and the second, it's vital. It's not only is it what the entire Bible is. The entire Bible is either one of two things. Okay, it's really simple. It's it's profound. It's deep. It's 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 immense, but it's not complicated. It's just two things. Number one, it's the proclamation of all that was to come in Christ, and then in the New Covenant, the New Testament, it's the proclamation of what has come in Christ. It's just that it's that simple. And and as the Spirit is is declaring in your heart but now in Christ but now in Christ but showing you opening your eyes lift up your eyes Abraham and walk the land where you already are to the north to the south to the east to the west explore this land of Christ that you've been brought into as that happens in us then then the boundaries of our uh, experience of Christ enlarged. Just, just as Israel's boundaries enlarged within the territory that God had given them. So, that's kind of a little review that I've been, you know, not really uh, t- teaching, and you guys haven't been in this class for what over a month now. So maybe that'll kind of bring us back up to speed. So, so, so here comes the second son. The first son has already been born, Ishmael, and he, in many ways, represents the first in a particular view of the first. And in his case, it's a it, it's a view of. Uh, 
you know, that which of course falls short of the second, receives no inheritance, receive, is not the child of promise, um, is the child of a slave, a servant, who is in bondage, uh, with her children, as Paul points out in Galatians chapter 4. But also, the first here is a picture of what Abraham could produce in his flesh. So there's a, you know, Abraham didn't have to wait to make, to make Hagar, to make, uh, uh, Ishmael, he just had to go into his, his servant's tent, you know, and, 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 and make Ishmael. In other words, the, the Ishmael was something that Abraham couldn't do. Just, just in a lot of ways, like all the aspects of the first. You know, man could build a tabernacle. Man could build an ark. Man could climb a mountain. You know, and, and man could, what are some other things? You know, man, all the things, man could get across the Jordan. I mean, there were specific ways that these things were supposed to happen, but still man was the one doing them. In the first, in the pattern, in the shadow, man was the one walking out a physical representation of something spiritual that was to come. That's what Ishmael was. Ishmael was the first, fell short of the second, wasn't according to the promise, wasn't according to the faith, but also was a creation of Abraham's flesh, something Abraham could produce, right? In in direct contrast, in in, in intentional contrast to that, uh, Isaac was this long-awaited gift, this thing that they could not produce, that their bodies were too old to, to produce. There's this, there's a sense of longing and expectation. There's a sense of impossibility involved in the birth of Isaac, all of which points to the coming of Christ or the experience of Christ. Um, you know, you'll notice this thing about this long anticipation, uh, all throughout the Old Testament. All of the, in fact, I think all of the wives of the founding fathers, I mean the fathers, I don't know, founding fathers, like maybe isn't the right term, but the, 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 the fathers in scripture, when I, when I say fathers, I mean Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob primarily, all of their wives were sterile. You know, there was, there was a waiting period in all of them, a, a dead womb, so to speak, and, and then an act of God, um, to bring about, uh, the 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 long-awaited son. There's different pictures in each of the stories. In this in this story, there's you know he makes Sarah wait till she's 90 years old. Abraham's 100 years old, and long past any ability to produce this in the flesh. In the story of uh, Rebecca, um, it's a little different. I think she's just uh, sterile, and then. Um, then she has the first and the second at the same time, and then the first becomes the second, and the second becomes the first becomes the last, and the, you know. But then, then in Rachel, Leah gives birth first a bunch of times, and Leah, Rachel's sitting there saying to Jacob, "Give me children, or I die." You know, this is long, and there's this expectation, um, and and all of this, and, and then suddenly Joseph comes forth, you know. But but and all of this corresponds to the 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 long-awaited son, the second coming forth. We we don't really think about this as much because we're born we're we're born <clears throat> in a in in an age where Christ is immediately available to those who turn their hearts and receive him. But but there was generation after generation after generation of pattern, promise, prophecy. And and finally the 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 coming of of this this one who is the living fulfillment who is the day of the Lord the long awaited I mean the night that just would not ever dawn went on and on and on and on and on and then 
boom, the day the day came in Christ, and then he calls himself that day and that light and tells people to walk in him. And all these things that, you know, don't make sense if you try to understand them naturally, but spiritually they're they're full of meaning. So here comes or or the prophets, you know. Um the the first Israel has her sons first. They're sons of the flesh. They're sons of the law. They're sons of the first covenant. And yet, there's this promise throughout all the prophets of of of, of these sons of Zion that are going to come. That a nation's going to be born in a day. That the Zion's going to travail, and and and, uh, and and then suddenly give birth. And, and that's again. That's what you see. That's what happened in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You you need to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the birth. You have to see that the world travailed, a dead womb. The earth is the dead womb of of uh, what's her name, Sarah. Travail. You you put a seed. God put a seed into the dead womb of the earth. He put his own son, a dying seed. He actually stuck it. He planted it in a tomb. He put it in there. He put a, a, a seed just like he did. He he miraculously did it with Mary too and, and with Sarah too and, and, and all these pictures of a dead womb. He and there's various you know types and shadows of this story, but it's it's basically the same thing. He puts he he plants and it says it in First Corinthians fifteen too. He says, you know, the the it was sown in shame, it was shown in weakness, sown in weakness, and yet it was raised in glory. It was raised in power. What was the seed? The seed that God had been talking about since since the very very beginning, since the very beginning of Genesis, when seeds were multiplying. The seed that would come from the woman that would crush the serpent's head. The seed, the seed that fills up the story of Abraham, the promised seed. I mean, all of that, he he sent that seed to the earth. And if that was, he didn't just send the seed to the earth to teach, as many people, you know, think about Christ as primarily a teacher or something like that. He sent the seed to plant it. And he plants it in a dead womb. He puts it in the earth. He, he puts, how does he plant his seed in the earth? He kills it. He hangs it on a tree. He puts it just like a dead seed falls off a tree and goes into the earth. He did that to his son. He stuck him in the ground. And then the earth travailed, the long-awaited travail of a dead womb. Okay, the whole earth was like a big dead womb. It was the land of the dead. It was the place out from which the, the dead are raised out from among the dead. It was this huge dead womb. And then in three days, and there was shaking, and there was travailing involved in that whole death and that whole burial. And there was earthquakes both when he died and earthquakes when he rose. You know, I mean, there was, it, it was, and suddenly God himself opened up, you know, remember the angels came down and opened up that womb and rolled that thing away and what comes out of it? And, and, and all the little kids in Sunday school say, Jesus. Yeah, well, that's true, but not just Jesus. A whole new man. A whole, he was the head of a new creation, a new man, and out comes this son of promise. Is it something that man could have made? Of course not. This is no Ishmael that came out of a tomb. This is the son that came out of a dead womb. This is the son that came out of out of a womb that could never have produced anything. This is the son that came out of the earth. This is the fruit of the earth. I mean the fruit that came out of the dying seed. And 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 and, and it's been waited for. 
for all this time, and there's a million pictures and shadows, there's a million Leahs and, and Cains and Ishmaels and Esau's that have, that have kind of pointed to it. And yet here it comes. The true son, the true seed, right? And, 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 and it's just, it's, it's the fulfillment of so many things. And we're so blind to the Old Testament. I mean, really, it, it just generally speaking as Christians, we're so blind that we, I don't know. It just, it seems tragic to me. We're so unfamiliar with the Old Testament as a testament, as a testimony, as a pattern, as a picture, as a promise, as a prophecy that we don't understand all of the incredible fulfillment that was wrapped up in that one, in, in that incredible planting of a die. And, 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 and there's more. There's even more. I mean, there's so much more, but not only not only did, did did Jesus become the dying seed, he actually took upon himself a husk, a husk that is the entire Adamic race. When he was lifted up, he drew all men to himself so that when he was planted, he wasn't just planted by himself. He was planted as a seed that bore a husk and that husk was all of Adam and it all went into the ground together and, and you know what? The husk never came out. The husk is still in a dead earth, you know, and 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 in a, in a matter of speaking, we were all born as that dead husk, needing to leave it behind, come out circumcised with Christ, left leaving the dead body of the Adamic man behind. Well, anyway, I'm kind of going to get going off on tangents, but but that's for me, that's uh, that's awesome and 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 huge and important, and. Um, Okay, but moving moving on on here. So what you see here is is that finally, uh, for those who might have joined us late, we're in Genesis chapter twenty one ish, I think. Uh, yeah, twenty one, and and so Sarah has the baby, and she laughs and she rejoices, and then you see here coming around, and uh, you, you see that. Um, um, in, in chapter 21, verse 9, you have, you have this little verse here where the, the, the first persecutes, or in this case, mocks the second. This is always there in, in the stories. You know, it's in David and Saul, and it's in um, Esau and Jacob, and it's in Cain and Abel, and whatever. But here, it's just a short little verse in this case. But now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And and here's, here's um. well, I'll get to this in a second, but verse 11 is, is uh, really important too. And it says, The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about the fact that Sarah's rejection of the first, sending out, sounds like a mean thing to do, but then God comes right along, and I think it's verse 12, and endorses that rejection. He says, Abraham, listen to your wife. Whatever What, what she told you, do it, because she's right. And, and, he, and he kind of confirms what she said. This this son will have no inheritance. And he says, through through only through Isaac will your seed be named or be called. And you know, there, there's there's lots of reasons we could say that the first was rejected. But but the main reason 
is simply that it's not the second. Okay, it's only at best the first. What's the primary disqualification of of Ishmael? You know, someone says, well, he, you know, there's a lot of things I guess you could throw on there. He, you know, he was mocking, or he was the son of a slave, slave girl, or the son of an Egyptian, whatever. Yeah, all of those maybe point to certain pictures and types. But the primary reason that the first is put away, that the first is rejected, is because simply it's not the second. Everything that has fallen short of the glory of God, who is Christ, is not accepted, is set away. Now, in that story, you see. As I mentioned before, that, that that Ishmael is a product of Abraham's flesh, and and in that sense, all of the flesh uh, was all works of the flesh are are also rejected and put away. But but principally, the 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 removal of the first, the rejection of Adam, the rejection of flesh, the rejection of man's works or man's obedience of the law. The rejection of all of that. What's the primary reason? Whether it's good, whether it looks good or bad, the primary reason is that it was never more, even in it, at its absolute best, it was never. It always was less than Christ. It was never more than a pattern. It was never more than a picture. And in this case, it was a, it was a pattern or a picture that was created by the flesh. Just like all the works of the law, they were patterns of righteousness, pictures of righteousness, but they were creations of the flesh, and therefore they fell short. Just like all the sacrifices and the offerings, they were pictures of Christ, they were patterns of something good, but yet they were in the flesh. They were fleshly, and yet they, so they fell short. They needed to be put away. Everything of the first was like that. And so what is Abraham's response? What's his reaction? Well, it says the matter distressed Abraham greatly. Um, and and this this I remember when this verse started to to stand out in my heart because it's always and, and I noticed the same again, the same pattern in, in everyone. Um, Cain uh, didn't take well to the rejection of his offering, you know, and and the acceptance of of Abel's offering. The first was rejected, the second was accepted. Cain was pretty upset about it, upset enough to kill his brother. Um, you know, here Ishmael and and Hagar rejected. Later Esau, how did Esau respond to uh to to Jacob getting the blessing? I mean, did he take that very well? You know, he he screamed and grieved and shuddered and all these, you know, these these strong words. Um Laban wasn't too fond of Jacob taking the second daughter. He you know, in fact, he snuck the first one in there so that he, so that he would take that one and and uh uh Joseph's two bro- uh, two sons, you know, when when Jacob crossed his arms and and started to give um the the blessing to the younger to the second uh, Joseph says no not so my father this is the oldest and he says i know i know but you know the matter displeased joseph um saul how you know when when god took the kingdom away from saul and gave it to david how did he respond he he freaked out he grabbed hold of um samuel's garment and 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 ripped it and begged him you know and and pleaded all of these are just examples of the exact same thing. What are they examples of? They're, they're examples of you. 
your heart, your heart's re reaction or response to the fact that God has put in you the son of his acceptance and that what you bring to the table in the flesh, what you offer him of the natural man is rejected. Now we might like that, and most people don't even like it as a concept, but what we might even like it as a concept, as an idea. But that just keeps getting deeper and deeper in our hearts as as the weeks and months and years go by of seeing Christ. The, the reality of God's acceptance of His Son and His rejection of everything that is not does not have Christ as its substance and source is not something that the natural man takes kindly to. There's something in us that continually wants to rather than rather than receive and be the ground of the increase and the glory of what is God's accepted seed something in us always wants to be that seed always wants to produce that thing that God accepts always wants to be the author of it the creator of it the producer of it at least the presenter i mean we we want to we want to have our hands in there somehow and there's something in us that's just like well, it's exactly like these people that I just listed. That doesn't, it doesn't come naturally to anybody. It's the offense of the cross. It's the cross that says, what you have, I don't want. But, now that's the rejection of the cross. Here's the grace of the cross. But, what I want, I'll give to you. You hear what I said there? What you have, I don't want. There's, there's the offense of the cross. But if you can get past that, then the other side of it is, yet what I want, I will give to you. I will make it unto you all things. I will work it in you, both to will and to work for my good pleasure. Now that's that's where the gift of life, the gift of Isaac, becomes good news to us. But, we, but before before you can really understand how great it is that everything God wants, he gives to us in Christ, you have to swallow the pill that says everything that we are naturally is not Christ. And therefore, it's part of the Ishmael that gets put behind. And we don't like that. And yet, you're gonna, if, you, if you try to cut that out of the Bible, you're, you, you, you have to, honestly, you just have to ignore hundreds of types and shadows and then hundreds of other clear declarations in the new testament that it is not i but christ you know in my flesh dwells no good thing statements like that they're all over the place you can't you can't deny them you just have to kind of skirt around that's kind of i think what i did for a lot of years as a christian was just kind of skirt around them or or i don't know avoid them minimize them some way or another because it's everywhere it's all over all over the book so anyway, Adam's reaction is is the key. The matter distressed... I'm sorry, not Adam. Well, it, it is Adam, but in this case, it's Abraham. Abraham's reaction. The matter distressed Abraham greatly. Um, and, and, and yet, nevertheless, it's interesting, and this is kind of a, a little bit of a side note, but God made Ishmael... Um, to represent, well, how do I want to say it? it? 
even though okay, Ishmael wasn't the son of promise. He wasn't Isaac, and yet God said that he will bless bless them and make them into make Ishmael into seven tribes or seven nations. And and in this Ishmael comes to represent the son of the flesh or the fleshly Israel, the fleshly not the spiritual Israel. Isaac represents the spiritual Israel. Ishmael represents the natural Israel. And that's what Paul's talking about. And I don't know if I want to get back into this. We've talked about this before, I think. But in Galatians chapter 4, when Paul says that spiritual Israel is Isaac and corresponds to Christian believers who are from the spiritual Jerusalem, from above. And he says, Ishmael corresponds to natural Jerusalem, sons of the flesh who are still under slavery. So Isaac and Ishmael, the two sons of Abraham, came to represent and and do represent in in a number of ways throughout Scripture, and and then Paul brings it into Galatians chapter 4, two Israels, an Israel of faith, an Israel of promise, an Israel in the spirit, and an Israel in the flesh. And that might be all I want to say. I might, I might be all I say about that tonight because I think we've talked about that. So here, here comes a. Um, I didn't write down the verse here, where it says, I think it's maybe verse twelve. Yeah, but God said to Abraham, "Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, and and I don't like that's that's the New American Standard. Every other translation I looked at said in Isaac, and that's that's the right translation, and and it's and it's more meaningful that way too. Um, for in Isaac your seed shall be called, or some say, for in Isaac your seed shall be named. This is. Um, this is a picture of something that's extremely important. This is uh, one of many, but one important reality. It's, it's not just through Isaac. It's not just by way of Isaac. Isaac isn't just doing something here that will be able to somehow communicate the benefits to those who are outside of him. No, it, this is in Isaac. It's in this one seed. In what Isaac represents, your seed will be named. Your seed will be called. In other words, it's a picture of many who are going to be made participants of one. Or many who are going to come to live and and, and be the uh, beneficiaries of this promise in the one. It's never a picture. God's never dealing with many. Even though he says that the seed will be great like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashores, that is always a picture of the greatness of one in many or the, the, the hugeness of the many who are found in the one. It's But it's never a bunch of anything. It's always the greatness of the one and that's really important. Uh, I wrote down here some verses of Galatians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 27. It says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Why? Well, because none of the things you bring to the seed into whom you are baptized are relevant. The things that you bring to him are left at the door. 
But if you are baptized into him, then you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 28. And if you belong to Christ, or if you are Christ's, not, not that you are little Christ, but that you are, yeah, belong to Christ, I guess is a way to paraphrase, paraphrase that. Then you are Abraham's seed. If you belong to Christ, if you have been baptized into Christ, if you have been placed, going back to our type in shadow, if you have been placed into Isaac, if you have found in Isaac your name, your calling, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. So all of this is a picture of the many uh, coming to be partakers of that one promised seed. That's really what's going on here. And the question, it begs the question, how do many come to partake in one? How do, how does the one come to share his blessing with the many? Or you could say it that way. And the answer, I think, is given to us in the next chapter, in chapter 22. Chapter 22 is, um, the famous, uh, sacrifice of, of Isaac on the altar. And there's a lot of, I mean, almost everybody, I think, almost every Christian, I I think, that has read the Old Testament recognizes that this is a picture of the Father offering Christ. I mean, it, it blatantly, I mean, it obviously says so in the Bible in a number of places. In the New Testament, um, even in Hebrews, it talks about Abraham receiving back his son as a type and shadow of the resurrection. You know, it just says it right there in Hebrews chapter 11. So it doesn't really leave anyone to guess. It's it's interesting, It's and it's sad, in my opinion, that just just this one chapter is usually seen as a foreshadowing or a picture of the cross in whatever ways we understand it to be so. And then the next chapter or the previous chapter aren't. You know, they, they try to limit types and shadows to... to you know, a few splatterings of, of verses here and there that are particularly obvious. Well, this one's obvious, but as always, what are we what are we seeing here in these types and shadows? I mean, it's obvious that there's a there's some kind of a picture of a father sacrificing his son. That's that's clear, and this makes no sense naturally speaking. You can't make a moral out of it. I mean, some people try to literally try to. Not seeing the fact that the only reason this is in the Old Testament is because of the picture it paints of the New Covenant reality. People try to make morals and, and lessons, natural lessons for the natural man out of this story. Like how Abraham had to just really trust in God, you know, and, and sometimes there's going to be things that you don't want to put on the altar. Uh, I remember when I was dating my wife, we were, um, this is so dumb and carnal, but it's a good example of how stupid we can be. Um, I remember I, like, we were like, <laughs> I don't know, I was one, I was wanting to be, uh, like, single and celibate and, and, cause I thought it was more spiritual in those days and like, and, and I told, <laughs> I told her at one point we were like starting to like really like each other and I felt like I needed to put our relationship on the altar just like Isaac and, and I kind of used that whole scripture to back it up. And she was, you know, she was like going with it, but I, I don't think she really bought it at all. I don't know. But, um, you know, and I was, I was trying to say, look, if it's God, then he'll give it back after we kill it. But let's just kill it. And I don't know. It was so dumb. 
but you can actually do that with the Old Testament. You can, you, we're so blind that we can actually use these types and shadows of Christ and God's salvation and grace and life and truth in Christ and we can actually apply them to our natural lives and think that the real meaning, the real reason for which God put this in the Bible was to testify about my my love life, you know, or something dumb like that. That's not what this chapter is about. This isn't this isn't about any, this isn't about human sac, you know, some people decry this, this chapter because it implies that God wants human sacrifice or something. This isn't about that. It's not about my dating life. It's not about anything except for a particular view of, uh, of salvation. Just like chapter 21 and chapter 20 and chapter 19. All of these. This one just happens to stand out. It's like it types and shadows for dummies. You know, it stands out as a, as a, as a hard to deny picture of the cross. And so it's mentioned in Old Testament literature books, but it's no more a type and type and shadow of Christ than the, than the previous or the following chapter. And it's just as easy as any other chapter to misunderstand what God is pointing to. Okay? It's not just a picture of Jesus dying and coming back again. There's so much more here. There's, well, there's so many things. I have, I have a long list here. I mean, there, there's a few things that are always mentioned, how, you know, the father gives his son, and this is true. You see Abraham, obviously not, not happy. For three days and, and three nights, he journeys to this mountain, just like the three days and three nights that the that the father was separated from his son. You know, like three days and three nights, the uh, Abra- or Isaac is is more or less dead in the heart of uh, Abraham, and, and then you see the willingness of the son to. Um, he doesn't struggle or he carries his own cross, so to speak. He carries his own wood, the wood for the altar, for the sacrifice up to the mountain. And, and, and people, you know, tie that into Christ. And that's true. And that's good. I mean, that's all, all very true. But, um, there, there's so much more for us to see here. For instance, all of the promises of God Everything that God had said to Abraham from from the very beginning were bound up in this seed, the seed who is Isaac. Everything, all of the, the promises of greatness, the promises of increase, the promises of victory, the promises of a kingdom, a possession, a land, an inheritance, all of that was wrapped up in the boundaries of this one young man who was carrying his wood, okay? So all of it was... It was you could say it was all contained in this one vessel. Just like prior to the cross, everything of the Father's purpose and plan and inheritance and nature and righteousness and kingdom and everything was bound up in one seed. And unless that seed die, then everything that God wanted, all of that increase and inheritance and blessing and, 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 and kingdom and priesthood, all of it was impossible. So what we're dealing with, I mean, one of the main things we're dealing with here is how do you get, how do you get the, the blessings and promises that are wrapped up in one son, how do you get those 
to be experienced by others? Or how do you, how do others come into that blessing and that inheritance? Because unless that's, this is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 12. Unless that seed dies, he remains alone, the only one of his kind. And, and you can go right back to Genesis chapter 3 on that. It is not God looks at Adam and there's no provision for his increase. Everything else is reproducing and increasing according to kind. And God looks at, God looks at, uh, the, the, the man who is the prefiguring of Christ, Romans 5.14, the one who is the shadow of him who was to come. And he says, it is not good that this one become, that, that remain alone. It is not good for this man to become alone. Now the father is declaring that over his own son, the fulfillment of Adam in the garden. And Jesus says, it is not good for one seed to remain alone. If it dies, however, it will there's so many ways to say it, but it will bear much fruit is what Jesus said. It will have a harvest, but you could say it, many will be incorporated into this one, or the, or the life of the one will be given to many. Prior to that death and resurrection, prior to Isaac going to the altar and coming back again with his father, everything was bound up in that one seed. And and the only one, he was the only one in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily, so to speak. In him alone was all that God planned, all that God purposed. In this one seed. So how does the one become the blessing of many? Or how do the many partake of the one? That's the issue. That's the issue going on here. The Father gives his Son. He gives his promised seed. And the way that the Father shares what he has bound up in that one package, that living package, which is Jesus Christ, the way that he shares it is by breaking it, offering it as a sacrifice. And this, friends, is the picture behind all of the Old and New Testament pictures of the breaking of the bread. This is what the feeding of the 5,000 is about. This is The feeding of the 5,000 is not about Jesus' care for the poor. Now, he, I'm not, nothing against caring for the poor. I, I've done some caring for the poor in my life and whatever. But that's not what that story is about. That story is about Jesus himself being broken. Incidentally, it happens. At, it happens at Passover too, where the, it, it happens where the where the one lamb is is killed and becomes the food for the entire house. You know, it's the same. It's one. It's the loaf that is Christ broken and shared. In order for that one loaf to be shared, it has to be broken. In order for that one life to be given, it has to die. In order for the blood for the life of that one sacrifice to be given to you, it ha- How does how does blood get shared? It gets shared. When the one who owns it, the one who contains it, the one who is the possessor of that life is killed. That's what it's about. That's what the, that's what the cross is about. Blood is shed. It's, it's death and yet it's life. It's the end. It's, it's, it's the killing of the sacrifice and yet there are many who eat his flesh and drink his blood and become partakers of him in true life. That's what John 6 is all about. And incidentally, John 6 comes right after the feeding of the 5,000. And when they come to him the next day and ask for, for him to do that little trick again, he, he rebukes 
rebukes them and tells them, do not pursue me for the food that that perishes, but for the food that endures unto eternal life. And then he goes into the whole thing about, I am the true manna. I am the bread of life. I'm the one that's broken. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. The whole He gathers Passover and the manna that falls from heaven and all these pictures into himself and says... This is the whole, this is the way that the, the life that's in the one seed is shared. How do you do it? I mean, th- th- there's so many, we could spend a lot of time looking through all of the pictures of this, but I mean, the altar is all about this. The blood is always poured out. It's shed at the altar and then it's sprinkled around the altar. It's put on the four corners of the altar and, and sprinkled all around the whole altar and poured out at the base of the altar because the altar is where we partake of it. That's where the whole, that's where the whole people who in Revelation are pictured inside of the altar. Whatever that means, the people crying out from inside of the altar, you know? That's where we live. It's in that four square, it's in that place that is constantly living by the life that is Christ. Now, when, when the Bible says that God so loved the world that He gave, you, 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 you need to stop right there and stop thinking about past tense. God, is still giving you his son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's not something that you should put in the past. You understand? I know that the sacrifice, the physical sacrifice happened in the past, 2,000 years ago roughly, but God is still giving you his son. A child was born so a son could be given. A child was born so that the child could die and the son could be given. And I guarantee you, you wouldn't be living right now in the presence of God unless the son was still being given right now as the life of your soul. The son this second is being given to you as your life, as your light, as your righteousness, as your truth, as your covering as the rock that you are hidden behind in the presence of the Father. The Son is given to you now. The Father loved the world and he gave. And and that's the way that the one, all that is bound up in the one, all the life and truth and light, all of the promises and blessings, all that were for eternity past just lived inside of one living package called the Word of God, the Eternal Son, right? How did he give that to you? He had to share, he had to pour out what was alive in that one, and he did it through death. And, 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 and so when you think about the giving of Christ, it's not just, and you have to, I mean, some of these things we've talked about a lot, it's not just he died so that you wouldn't have to. That's, no, that's just way, way, way too shallow. He brought you into his death so that he could be your life. He, he poured out his blood so that you could drink it. He gave his life so that his Life could live in a new body, a corporate body called the church. He died, he provided a sacrifice for himself. And I know I'm running out of time here, but that's see, the very next thing that happens after Isaac, Isaac goes to the, goes to the, to the altar. And, and as soon as God stops, you know, him from actually putting in the dagger and, 
he he says he starts saying to him right away, what's the, what's the issue? What's the first thing? I'm skipping way ahead. I'll have to get back to this. But the first thing he says is, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Incidentally, God is not even recognizing Ishmael as a son of of Abraham, which is pretty uh, important in itself, and we'll have to look at that. But he says, because you have done this, indeed I will greatly bless you, I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your seed, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, the increase is tied to the death. That's what I'm trying to point out here. It's not just... It's 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 not just Jesus died for my sins. It's so much bigger than that. It's Jesus was given as the life of your soul so that there could be an increase of him in a body, in a kingdom, in a harvest. And and that's why it says and it's and I'll have to pick up with this next time because this deserves some more time too. That's why he says these these key words. He's, he's he's walking up and and Isaac says, "Father, I I see the wood, I see the altar, or whatever." He says, and he says, "But where's where's the offering? Where's the lamb?" And then Abraham does not say, "Don't worry, God will provide the lamb." What he says is, "Don't worry, God will provide for Himself a sacrifice." And this whole thing is for himself. You see, this whole thing is for his increase and his glory. The whole thing about is about the increase of the seed in the many. This is something God's doing for himself. You, you become a beneficiary of it, absolutely. You become a partaker of that living seed, but God is looking at his son and saying, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you a kingdom. I'm going to give you a land where you can dwell, a resting place. I'm going to give this all to you. And I've prepared for myself a way to do this and 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 that all obviously has to do with the death and burial and resurrection of christ but the, the but the but the point is that that all of this is, is for him he provides this way that the son can be magnified that the son can become great that all the promises can 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 be made real in and through a people which we are but only only by way of sacrifice, only by way of pouring out life so that we can partake of and drink that life. And, all right, I probably should. You know, I just have written down here. And, you know, people talk about Jehovah Jireh. You've probably heard that term before. And it comes from this verse right here where God or Abraham calls the place Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. But we make that, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but in my past, I've like tried to hold God to that. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. And I was talking about, you know, at the time I was talking about something for myself, something for my flesh, you know, money or provision or whatever. And this, this it's amazing how we can just turn this whole type and shadow into a... Um, you know, the Lord provides for me, for my natural desire. And the whole point of this story is that God provided for himself a sacrifice that would be the increase in glory of his seed and the fulfillment of all of his promises and blessings. 
So I'll, I'll, I'll be done with that. And now um, what I'm going to do is...